0: So Many Bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please navigate to secondwindcollective.com for more info. Again, that's secondwindcollective.com. Welcome to So Many Bits, a podcast exploring the art of comedy in video games. I'm Bill Nielsen, an amateur comedian in Chicago and a lifelong fan of video games. I'm joined by Cliff Murphy, who's also both an amateur comedian and a lover of games.
1: Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me again.
0: <laughs> no problem, man. Uh, for episode two, we're going to be talking about the 2014 release of Shovel Knight, uh, just to see how can use a minimalist touch to show a wide, expansive world and rich storytelling. Uh, before that, though, we're just going to talk about the games that we're playing right now. Uh, just as a quick reminder, we're not always playing the most up-to-date games. You know, we're we're limited. <laughs> we're a little bit limited in our our budgets and our time availability. But we want you know we right. want to let you know what we're up to right now. Uh, Cliff, would you like to talk about what you're playing first?
1: Sure, I will. It's um, you know mostly I have pretty much only been playing Diablo 3. So <laughs> that is pretty mu- that is pretty much all. Um, I have been playing, more or less. I um, I never played Diablo 2, or Diablo, I guess. I never played them, and yet uh, here I am with Diablo 3, and I am enjoying it a lot. And that is what I have been playing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I, I would watch, uh, back in, in college, I'd watch a lot of people playing Diablo 2. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, and just the... Even at that point, that would have been like... Uh, 2004 2005 Diablo 2 was already starting to show its age it had been out yeah, for a couple it, of, eh? yeah it was it had been out for a few years at that point and then right. they kept updating it and patching it and I think the last patches were, were released like a year or so before Diablo 3 came out oh my god that's crazy so you might be looking at a game that you're playing or couldn't have the opportunity to play for the rest of this decade.
1: That is a very good point. I didn't consider that. This, it was an investment. I am investing in the next ten years. That's what I'm doing. See, so you say
0: good point, and I say terrifying point. I, <laughs> I don't know if I was saying that to like be yeah, a very positive. we had different
1: interpretations of that, didn't we? You were like, that's terrifying. I was like, no, man, that's come on, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, ten-year video games, boom. Man, that's a great amount of time. <laughs> well, as for myself, I, I recently... Uh, finished Mega Man 3 uh, playing that on the Nintendo 3DS Virtual Console. Perfect. And I had previously played Mega Man 2. Uh, Mega Man 2, I had played it a little bit uh, just here and there when I was younger, but that game I I pretty much blasted through it. I got through it in like four hours. Uh, Mega Man 3, on the other hand, is first off, much longer. and, And second off, much harder, I found.
1: Is it do they met it's still it I haven't played it I've played Mega Man 2 but is it still um, is it still like eight um, bosses or like eight worlds?
0: Yes uh, so you have the the eight bosses and then uh, so we're gonna spoil a little bit about a, a, like a 25 year old <laughs> video game but after you defeat the uh, eight bosses there's an extra set of four bosses and each boss well it's actually each level has two bosses in it. From Mega Man Two, really? Yeah. Oh wow. And that's so you, already that's a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So you have to beat those eight bosses, and then you get into the the Doctor Wily track. Wow. Wow. Okay. And just but in I addition guess... to that length, I, I felt like the the so in Mega Man Two, the felt like the difficulty was based around the the jumps and like platforming and environmental hazards. Okay. Um, and then I feel like Mega Man 3, there was a lot more enemy-based hazards. Interesting. And what that meant is uh, sometimes just learning the patterns of these enemies, but sometimes just getting shot up a bunch. Uh, just I felt like I was taking a lot more uh, just unnecessary damage or cheap hits as I was trying to work my way through the levels, and it was really hard to get through. Yeah, it was really hard to get through. That's,
1: that's, um, would you say that there were like... Um... They were moves or things that you weren't able to see as well or predict as well, just based on the way that that the levels were set up.
0: Well, uh, just because of the way Nintendo games work, a lot of it is a screen to screen action. So you have mm-hmm. like one set piece on a screen, and then you either like climb up the ladder to a new whole screen, or you you um, shift right to a whole new screen, and like an enemy pops in, and mm-hmm. sometimes just like the enemy will pop in. And usually they're pretty good about giving you a chance to see what's happening before you have to interact with it. Yeah, them. right. Uh, but even still, I found it very difficult at times to get through these enemies without taking some shots. Like, a, hmm. there's a, a level snake man, Okay. and one of the parts is you, you go up this ladder and there are three snake heads uh, at a diagonal, and they... After, like, two or three seconds, they they shoot at your current location. And you have to take out all three, and I I just found it very difficult to get through that without losing most of my health, without them pegging me a bunch. I couldn't really get the timing down
1: for evading Mm -hmm. the shots. That's that's interesting, especially because um, for Mega Man 2, and uh, the previous Mega Man as well, I felt as though the level design was done in a very, very effective way in the sense that you as the player would have lots of opportunities to see things happening before you came in direct contact with different things. Or you could see different elements that were then presented more simply and then combined together later. It seems odd for them to include something that's so insurmountable without giving you too much of an opportunity to see it in action or overcome it.
0: And I agree, I think that Mega Man 2 epitomized that, and Mega Man Mm -hmm. 3 still held true to that for the most part, but perhaps, I have no real way of knowing, perhaps they felt more pressure to to make the game more difficult, to make the game last longer.
1: Maybe, yeah, maybe that's, uh, I guess that's, wasn't that the old Nintendo strategy? Like, they couldn't physically increase the length of the game, so they just made it really hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Okay. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting. I mean, maybe that's what it was. I mean, because Mega Man 2 is challenging, and there's that feeling of, like, overcoming different things and kind of learning the game and learning how to get in control of the game and everything. So, I mean, I guess there's that, you know, that triumph feel at the end. And you're like, okay, I know how to do this now. Maybe I can, you know, have it a little bit more challenging. So maybe that's sort of part of the motivation for um, making it more difficult in Mega
0: Man 3. There was also an aspect that uh, in Mega Man 2, with the, the bosses, there was somewhat a logic to the, how the powers interact with each other. For example, uh, Heat Man's power defeated Wood Man. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then in Mega Man 3, they're not using like elemental or common types anymore. It's Gemini I Man see. and Shadow Man and Hard Man.
1: I see. So it's um, much more difficult to see the connection or if the, the connections are just random.
0: Right, right. Lot, lots more uh, experimentation would be the I see. diplomatic yeah. way of putting it.
1: Yeah, I could see how that would, again, increase the length of the game um, just by making it a little bit more difficult, making it less intuitive to figure out there.
0: Yeah, and but I mean, overall, I still really enjoyed it. Still enjoyed it, I, right, of course. I, I feel like classic games like that may end up in this, held in the same regard as like older literature, where the language might not always be Intuitive or uh, easily, uh, you're not always easily fluent in it, but you okay. still want to get through there to see like the themes and discover uh, what people of the time enjoyed about these games.
1: Sure, I could see that. I could definitely see that. Um, yeah, like uh, game designers of the future sort of taking like study classes or study classes. Look at me with my, <laughs> my language words. Um, I forget what my point was.
0: (laughs) The important part Uh, was you were agreeing with me.
1: It was people in the future taking classes about classic games in order to learn sort of the uh, aspects of it, and sort of being like, sort of this is the you know the master class. Let's read the classics. Let's familiarize ourselves with the classics so we can go on and design more games.
0: And and I think there there is a a good history of that. I mean, a lot of I, I mean I'm have to imagine almost every game developer everywhere is a game, video game fan at heart. Yeah, and I would growing. hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, it, from you know, from the horror stories you hear about the gaming industry sometimes about working there, you have to... Oh yeah, sometimes them. you wonder, eh? They, they have to be big fans, so... Mm-hmm. You know, funnily enough, we're, the game we're talking about today is obviously yes. done by big fans of games like Mega Man and other games from that era. Uh, yeah, so
1: so, uh, so as a refresher, I suppose we're talking about Shovel Knight today, or that is the uh, game that we're very interested in right yeah. now. Yeah. And um, Shovel Knight was released back in uh, 2014, and it was released on a whole bunch of different platforms. I know that it's available on the Wii and the, uh, the 3DS, and uh, I think it's on PlayStation and Xbox as well, too. It's certainly on the computer. It's on pretty much everything you could want it on.
0: I guess um, just uh, for reference, what platform did you play it on?
1: I started by playing it on my computer, and then, to be perfectly honest, I was over at my girlfriend's house one night, and I really wanted to play it, so I (laughs) downloaded it on my
0: 3DS.
1: (laughs) So, I was just sitting around, I was like, man, I want to play that game, and so I just bought it again (laughs) on a different platform. Um, So, I then also played it on my 3DS, (laughs) so I have two different files going right now, which is... Ah, uh, silly! I'm very impatient, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I played it on the—I uh, um, guess on my computer, to start.
0: Okay, and then I, I played it on my 3DS. Is how I played it. Cool, cool.
1: Um, I really liked the, the 3DS version of it compared to the computer. That just p- being able to like pick the menu items much more quickly without having to pause the game—I like that a lot
0: more. You know, I, I don't have that comparison, but I also was you, a fan of that. You don't,
1: you don't have a comparison on the um, on the computer version. Uh, you have to like push a certain button, to, uh, a button to bring up your inventory, and then from there you can put on different things or equip different items or that sort of stuff. Whereas on the 3DS, you can simply click the icons on the touchscreen, and it'll automatically the, equip them without pausing the gameplay.
0: If we can actually bring it back to Mega Man Three. One thing that drove me crazy is uh, in Mega Man 3, you have default you know, Mega Man, and then he has three different vehicles he can drive. Oh, okay. He's got like a, a spring, a jet. Oh, like a, uh, with, the, with the dog? Or yeah, yeah. Like okay. Rush, I, I don't know what they're called, but there's like a jet, a spring, and a submarine. And mm-hmm. switching between them is such a pain because you have to go into the menu to use them. Right. And then you can't uh, fire your gun. Your fire command is replaced by the summoning the vehicle.
1: Mm.
0: And then when you want to go back, you have to go back into the menu to switch. And also, when you pick up uh, items that restore the power meter for your vehicles or for your weapons, you have to switch to that weapon or vehicle to pick up the, the, the potion. Otherwise, mm. it won't apply.
1: Hmm. That sounds very inconvenient.
0: It, it was very tedious, and uh, I, I have to imagine, you know, if they were going to remake the game, they would make it more intuitive and allow touchscreen controls for switching between the items. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Did I, I totally sorry. derail your train of thought?
1: No, I had. I was going to say something, and I totally lost it. I'm sorry.
0: So it sounds like I did derail you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you absolutely did. Um, yeah. So we like to talk about video games and their connections to comedy. And Shovel Knight has a lot of interesting connections to comedy, although I would argue that they're not immediately apparent. Um, last time we talked about South Park, The Stick of Truth. And that game is immediately, apparently funny for many different reasons. Shovel Knight has lots of comedic aspects, but they're not directly funny, shall we say. And I know that sounds a little bit odd or a little bit off, but, um, well, this is pretty much what I mean. Um, In terms of comedy or in terms of uh, acting or improv or sketch when you're introducing a scene or when you're introducing an idea in front of an audience, you don't want to make a whole bunch of big decisions immediately and give too much information to the audience. You sort of want to give them grains of truth about the reality that you're going to be setting up, and then you and your other performers and the audience are sort of going to slowly sort of discover what's happening in this world together. So in improv, we like to start with three basic pieces of information. You'll go into a scene with who you are, uh, where you are and what you're going to be doing, all right? And that's really all you need to do, and you can you can sort of go back and forth and introduce a little bit more than that. Um, but Shovel Knight starts off in largely the same way. There's sort of a very brief sort of video introduction, um, which sort of sets up the, the world in this kingdom. You know, Shovel Knight uh, had a friend named Shield Knight, and then she was kidnapped by the Enchantress, and now you have to travel across the land, fight her soldiers, and save Shovel Knight. And that's, uh, that's pretty much the story, and then it throws you right into the first level. Um, but the interesting thing that it does as well, too, is that once you're in the first level, pretty much every single thing about it is designed in such a way so as to teach you or show you more about the reality of the world that you're in or the gameplay, I suppose, more specifically. Uh, When you're doing an improv scene or when you're doing a comedic scene or something like that, obviously you only need to sort of show the audience or tell the audience what's going on. But with a video game, you also need to sort of teach the audience how to participate in the world that you're setting up as well, too. Um, So the entire first level of Shovel Knight is set up in a very sort of simple way where it doesn't explicitly tell you how to do anything but it sets up the level in such a way that you need to try and figure it out, or you're going to start to learn about it yourself, which is a very nice, gradual sort of storytelling um, aspect. Um, If you think about, like, any sort of popular story or anything like that, let's take Star Wars, for example, they don't immediately start off with a whole, whole bunch of information, even though they literally begin the movie with a paragraph. (laughs) But... uh, (laughs) But... um, they don't give you a whole bunch. They sort of set up a little bit, sort of stuff, and then Luke himself discovers new things as you're discovering things, et cetera, et cetera.
0: No, I mean, so, I, I, you know, I, I agree that like you can't front load all of the information. If you if you were to front load everything, then first off, uh, the audience or in this case the player would not be able to keep track of everything that's going on. Exactly, if exactly. You,
1: um, I think of something like Grand Theft Auto five. Um, which obviously, you know, is a remarkable game in terms of its scope and complexity. But you can play the game, Grand Theft Auto V, for four hours and still not get through all of the missions which are designed as tutorials, you know? Well, see, Um, that doesn't
0: sound like... In that case, that doesn't sound like a good thing, though. I, I don't know... No, it really, it, it really doesn't.
1: But I think it's just because there's so many, like in Grand Theft Auto Five, there's so many different things to do. It takes them a long time to tell you all of the things that you could potentially do or at least give you an idea, right? You've got to go on missions which are focused on shooting. you got to do missions that are focused on driving. Then you've got to do a mission which is focused on you can have a jet ski, right? <laughs> like, this is, like there's so many different things. Um, Knight comparatively, is incredibly simple. Um, I mean, the gameplay is straightforward and simple, uh, the world and the storyline is straightforward and simple, um, even the graphics are straightforward and simple as well, but the way that it teaches you all about the world, or the way that it teaches you about the gameplay, is similarly simple, um, which is, you know, um, appropriate, given, you know, how simple everything in the game is, um. Yeah, I mean, I think supposed, is, this, is this making sense? What I'm saying? Yes. No. Right?
0: It, it makes it makes a lot of sense, and I mean, there's definitely a difference in in scope between a game like Shovel Knight and a game like Grand Theft Auto right. V. But I think even if you compare Shovel Knight to other uh, similar games from more classical eras, from 8-bit, 16-bit uh, mm-hmm. consoles, you'll see that a lot of them. I mean, the more traditional uh, viewpoint is that you have a manual and you better mm-hmm. use it. <laughs> they'll, yeah, they'll you're give totally you right. Uh, like a layout of the the button layout on a control, a drawing of the controller, and you might get a similar like a paragraph of story. But then you're kind of you're you're kind of intended to refer like back to read the manual and sort of
1: learn how to play the game before you actually play the game.
0: Right? right, and and that's also kind of a frustrating way to have to assimilate yourself into a game. It is. It is. So I mean, I think a lot of what you're saying, Cliff, is. It applies to uh, one of the more basic rules of improv comedy which is show don't tell Um, a lot of times as improvisers because we're operating in a world that is imaginary that is only what we can come up with on stage we feel compelled to narrate and in doing so we talk in a way that's not natural we describe what we're doing in a way that you would never do in real life and we feel the need to add information about how we feel about what's going on or elements of our life that lead to awkward or stunted conversations. Right,
1: Um, you're adding it, you're telling people a whole bunch of different things that don't need to be said just because uh, you need to fill in gaps in the reality, shall we say.
0: Right, it it, it often uh, stems from a lack of confidence Uh, from a lack of a relationship with the other people on stage in that you might uh, maybe you're trying to be a lumberjack but you're not sure that you know how to uh, mime or use use the space to indicate that you're chopping down a tree but it's an invisible tree and you have an invisible axe so you have to (laughs) say something like oh boy I love being a lumberjack just to like make sure you hammer it home when anyone if i mean within reason anyone who's watching and sees you swing a giant baseball bat type thing low on the ground will think oh that guy's a lumberjack without you telling them
1: right of course um especially when you can since you are in an acting environment you can put your physicality and whatnot into it to even sell that point further
0: exactly exactly and with a lot of uh, video games, you see two extremes, neither of which are ideal. Uh, one of them being what we mentioned before is where you just get dropped into a game and you're mm-hmm. expected to kind of know what to do without having any prior example of what's going on. Right. Um, in the sense of comedy, you often see at the start of a comedy show people doing introductions, trying to explain what an improv comedy is, what what its principles are, to so give people an idea that it's okay to laugh at whatever happens on stage because it's all coming being invented on the spot. Once people right. know that's happening, it lowers their expectations of what the performers will do and allows them to relax and hopefully in turn allows the performers to relax. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have games that over-explain what they're trying to do. Um, a, yes. a big example of this would be uh the Legend of Zelda you know, franchise. Of Zelda. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: they I mean they're uh not you know, not every game in the Legend of Zelda series uh really, really holds your hand, but I mean there are a few that just like overwhelmingly like take you through all the fine points, you know.
0: Like Skyward Sword.
1: Like Skyward
0: Sword. <laughs> I mean just like it. There are so many different points in the game. We're just not allowed to do anything except rigidly what you are instructed to do. Yep. And there are and so that, many <laughs> points.
1: That is, it is very, very irritating when that happens because you are thrown in to a fantastical, wonderful world which has so much in it to explore and then... You, just by being in this place, have such, like, this drive to be like, oh, I want to go and see all these things and check it all out. But you have to wait for the game to tell you to go to these certain spots. Or the game is going to take you through all these different points, being like, see, and look at this. See, and look at this. Right? Right. Until, you know, all the joy is sucked out of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, players don't appreciate being instructed on how to have fun. They want to discover how to have fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. As absolutely. evidenced by
0: the millions upon millions of Minecraft players world over. <laughs>
1: yeah, as evidenced by that. No kidding. Um, yeah, it's, it's... Like, I imagine that... Um, let's say you took a friend to a big indoor playground or something like that. Um, it would be two very different things if you just said, okay, go for it and you let them run around and you check out whatever, apparently your friend is some big child. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, you and your friend, big child, have gone to the imaginary indoor playground, and you've just let them loose, and you say, go explore, they're going to find their own fun and whatnot, they're going to do their own thing. I don't know why I said your friend, this metaphor works much better just with children. And Let's imagine you have some children. And okay. he's got
0: a name, his name is Big Child. The
1: Big Child, <laughs> okay. You and your son, Big Child. Um, Go there. I mean, if you just let him go, he's going to find his own fun, right? You let your kid yeah. go run around. They're going to find their own fun. It may not be something that maybe you thought of initially, but they're going to find something that they're enjoying doing, and they're going to do that. It would be very different entirely if you took that kid, literally holding their hand, watched them around the entire playground, pointing out all the different things that they could do, All right, dragging them around the entire time, making sure they saw everything, before you let them go and explain, or sorry, go and explore. It'd be very, very different experience in both situations. So I mentioned earlier that um, in comedic scenes, you want to introduce certain elements at the beginning without giving away too much. So you want to introduce who you are, where you are, and what you're going to be doing. And Shovel Knight does that very beautifully in the first Uh, in the first couple of scenes in the first level again. I'm sorry to keep harping on the first level, but I mean, it's the introduction of the game, so it sort of sets up everything. Um, But uh, in the opening animation, it tells you who you are. You're just sort of a knight, right? And it tells you where you are in a kingdom. Um, And interestingly, uh, then it also sets up what's going to be going on, which is you pretty much trying to rescue Shield Knight the entire time. But the interesting thing as well, too, and I just thought of this, is then... And the first level, the game, shows you, okay, this is how you're going to be doing it. And then in this level, it's giving you all of the different tools and things that you're going to be using to, you know, sort of uh, play the game or beat the game, which is a very interesting aspect. I mean, obviously, if you're doing just an improv scene, I mean, you're really only going to need who, what, and where. But then when you have a game, you've done your introduction, then you need to specifically tackle the question of how. And that's very interesting as well, too, because Shovel Knight gets the how out. In the first half of the first level, but a game something that's much much more complex, um, like Grand Theft Auto, is going to say this is how you're going to do that, and it's going to take a long time, right? Um,
0: right, and, and you know, uh, with Shovel Knight, there is it's just what changes over the course of the game is the difficulty of the how you apply your skills that you learned in the first level. There's yeah. a lot of patient opportunities to master how to get through the levels to traverse. Uh, Absolutely. One of the primary methods of navigation is you have a shovel, which uh, for no real good reason uh, you can use as a pogo stick. <laughs> yeah,
1: thematically, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You'd be bouncing up and down on your shovel.
0: But just at first, you're not put in a position where you have to rely on it extensively. You can jump to get to most places you need to be. But as yes. more time goes on, you have to become more and more of a master of using the pogo stick to get around. Otherwise, you're going to find certain sections of the game impassable.
1: Yes. Yep, you're absolutely right. Um, and it's pretty neat. I mean, you certainly every single level presents you with new like enemies or new environmental hazards or things like that. Um, but you're still defeating them all with the same core ideas that you had at the beginning. Um, you think about uh, the original Super Mario Brothers. In the first level, you learn all about Mario, like how to run, how to jump, how to do everything, and then you're using only those skills all the way until the final level. The only difference is that you have a, uh, you are facing different enemies, and the challenge or the level of intensity or complexity of the levels is increasing as well, too. But, uh, you know, the, there's no gameplay difference in terms of uh, between level 1 and level eight four. you know?
0: Right, and, and you do... You do get other unique powers, and in Mario Brothers 3 and Shovel Knight, you, mm-hmm. in both cases, you can get powers that complement what you're doing, but they don't ever obsolete what you're doing.
1: No, that is very, very true. Um, in Shovel Knight, you have a bunch of different, uh, you know, relics, uh, items that you can use to defeat enemies in different ways, but you aren't it isn't necessary to use any of them at any point. You can get through the game in its entirety without ever using any relics, as far as I remember. Certainly it makes it more difficult or more challenging at different points, but it's not ever required.
0: Right. Right. I don't um, think there's any obligatory power-ups that you have to get. They're only there to no, make the game easier. No, I don't easier.
1: think there are. Um, so, um, so anyway, once you're past the first level... Um, the entire game is about you going through, facing off against all these uh, the agents of uh, No Quarter or the Knights of No Quarter, who are pretty much the, the enemies, and uh, you're fighting against them the entire time, in the progress of you know making your way towards the end, so you can you know save Shield Knight, hopefully. Um, there's a few other sort of small um, storyline elements that are introduced throughout here and there. I mean, some of the things that. The, uh, the other knights say and that sort of stuff There's a repeating character that you fight A bunch of times, the black knight And, um, who eventually Turns out to be a bigger part of the story Right And then, um, as well, at the end of every three levels or so Um, there's sort of a Dream sequence sort of thing When uh, you have to fight off enemies And then you have to catch shield knight as she falls towards the ground Um, so it's just sort of Like a small little reminder of what's happening On, um
0: the, the and, game's fairly unique about how it how it gates itself, too, in that you're not stuck going level 1, level 2, level 3. You have level 1, and then you have a choice of any three levels, any of three levels for the next portion of the game, but you have to beat all three, which then unlocks another set of three levels that you have to beat, but you can tackle them in any order. Yeah, that's true. Um,
1: <clears throat> uh, yeah. Um, what was I going to say?
0: Am I just drilling your thoughts all over again?
1: Ah, uh, it just keeps happening. And I don't know. Don't know what's going on. Um,
0: Is it a concussion?
1: It might be that concussion I acquired. <laughs> 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 um, so in terms of the storyline, um, as you're going through again in comedy, in sketch writing, and that sort of stuff, after you present the initial platform and the initial like tilt, like the interesting aspect, and that sort of stuff. Um, you like to see sort of a rising intensity of different sorts of things. In storytelling, uh, it's called the rising action. Um, but um, in improv or in sketch writing or that sort of stuff, you're going to be talking about how things are going to become uh, more severe or more intense or whatever the game that has been established in the scene is going to be ramped up as well. Um, so... Well, you see throughout the gameplay of Shovel Knight, it's getting more and more intense. It's getting more and more, you know, interesting in a few different ways. Um, Certainly, you're getting closer and closer to this, like, dark side of the stage, right? And the music changes a little bit after every three levels. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, furthermore, the gameplay is becoming more and more difficult. So there's this increasing challenge. And parts of the storyline continue to sort of, like, get introduced. So it becomes increasingly intense. And, um, I mean, that's, that's a pretty consistent storytelling idea that you're going to want. You're going to want to have the amount of action increase until it, you know, sort of reaches that climax. Um, it's the same thing in sketch writing. If you've introduced a game or if you've introduced a joke that you're going to be hitting, you want to see if you can play it a bunch of different times over and over and over. Um, some friends of mine and me uh, just wrote a sketch the other day, uh, which pretty much starts as a commercial for like a bacon hamburger. But then, <laughs> but then Done. more and more in the scene, um, they just keep saying bacon more and more. And then they're just they just start saying it. Like at the beginning, it's just like new the bacon burger from whatever, right? But then later on, they're like we've baconized a bacon burger with a bacon bun, and then, like it's getting more and more bacon over and over and over, and, um, until finally like it's some weird bacon cult or something like that. It gets really intense. Uh, there's a kidnapping, which is so typical of me. Um, but, uh, in, in the sense that I have also written another scene in which someone was kidnapped. So two kidnapping scenes makes me the guy who writes kidnapping scenes.
0: Are you Mr. Amber Alert?
1: That's me. <laughs> um, so... But anyway, so the point is, is that the game is that we just say bacon a lot and become more intense about the way we're saying bacon, and by the end, we're super incredibly intense. and so, you know, life-changing and all
0: that sort of stuff. And then, um, though, if you but, started out with a scene that was just a cult of bacon worshippers, that probably wouldn't have the same impact as the scene that you wrote, where you start off more gradually building up to that idea. The audience yeah. might not accept at first, they might think, that's too weird if that yeah. was your opening
1: right they you're you're totally right you got to like ramp up to it you got to build up to that sort of intensity um, or that level of the joke. I couldn't immediately start in that scene just going full bacon, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, I got to build up to it. Well, it's the same way in like, shovel Knight or the same way in gameplay and that sort of stuff, in the sense that you can't throw people into a super, super difficult game right at the beginning. You have to ramp up the difficulty. You have to ramp things up you know, along the way. Um, the you know the first level, obviously being introductory. Then you got the next three levels. or I guess the next two, and then the next three, and then the next three. And they continually get a little bit more complex. But if you were to throw people into the game um, on, let's say the first, on, let's say the um, uh, what's this night uh, How about propeller like- night. If you were to be thrown into the propeller night level, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, like all in the air and that sort of stuff. It's really like complex. It would be far more difficult. Um, even a game known for its difficulty, like Super Meat Boy, still puts you in the forest at the beginning. Still teaches you how to run, how to jump, how to dodge things, right? It doesn't throw you right into the final level with Dr. fetus, right? It builds up to that, but it builds up to it you know in a very quick way, but still in a way that teaches you everything about the game.
0: I mean that's exactly uh, correct. I mean, people want to feel like they've made progress like they have they have gained, Something from their time, and if it was a if it was a flat difficulty curve, that would be considered monotonous. People would probably get bored of that. Yeah, they probably would. So even in the case of Meat Boy or other extreme platformers like A Thousand and One Spikes or VVVVVV, uh, <laughs> you've got you've got a curve because people want to feel like they're they're improving, that they're gaining a skill from playing this game. Yeah they do. Whether it's an um, applicable skill or not, I couldn't say. But <laughs>
1: um, If we can tie that back to storytelling, then. Uh, you want to have a resolution because it's uh, it's an opportunity to sort of feel uh, uh, catharsis. All right, You want to feel satisfied as though there's been some sort of release, shall we say. Some sort of satisfaction at knowing that something has been accomplished. Um, in improv or in sketch, towards the end of the scenes, with the characters, you want to see how the characters have been affected by the things that are going on. all right? And you pretty much want to show one of two different results. Either people have changed as a result of the things that have gone on, or everything has gone back to normal. all
0: right? And you know what, you want- what's special about Shovel Knight in this case, then, is that you know when we're talking about sketches and comedy, that's an artistic endeavor where there's... The motivation is to tell the best story possible, to ha- and that involves having an appropriate uh, resolution at the appropriate time based on the heightening that's gone on before it. Mm-hmm. In video games, there that's a commercial endeavor. There is not necessarily the same motivation to have the game end when it should end. Right. Shovel Knight, though, it it does end when I would I would say it ends when it's supposed to end. I, you know, you get. Through the game, the the stakes are are heightened appropriately throughout. You learn more about the the final villain. You learn more about your rival, the Black Knight. You learn more about Shovel Knight. And at the end, there is a resolution where people have changed, and you've you understand the characters. Their their stories have been told, but you're not dragged through.
1: it doesn't. It doesn't overstay its welcome, right. shall we say. Yeah. Um, it is. It is not a particularly long game. I mean, you could spend a long time playing it and getting better at it. But in terms of the storyline, it's quick. It's simple. It's straightforward. It knows what it's doing, and then it leaves with a very sort of satisfying end to it. Um, I think that you can probably get through the game in its entirety in maybe, like, three, four hours. In fact, I think there's an achievement for finishing the entire game in under an hour and a half.
0: Um, but...
1: I mean, I... Me, I'm
0: sorry. No, it's alright. I mean, I, be, I believe on a good run, yeah, you could do it in 90 minutes. So like, I think I beat it in, like, six hours or so. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um... But in improv scenes or things like that, you're kind of looking for this resolution, looking for this moment. Maybe somebody says a joke that gets a big laugh. Maybe there's sort of a resolution and then the characters have changed or something like that. But you're looking for a point to, like, edit the scene or finish the scene, right? And so with that in mind, you want to let the scenes go on, but not so long that people are starting to get bored or tired of it, right? Um, not so long that people are starting to know exactly what's going to happen. You still want the scene to be sort of unpredictable in the sense, right? People are still mm-hmm. discovering it. There's still a yeah. joy in having it happen. Um, and it's the same thing with the game, with, with Shovel Knight. It ends, it ends, um, with you being satisfied, with you maybe wanting a little bit more, which I guess encourages people to start up the new game plus mode as well, um, so it's it's very it's a very simple but a very uh full sort of bodied storyline a very full bodied sort of experience I would argue
0: i i would I would say the same I, I feel like there are very few moments where the game lags or it feels like a chore, and I think it does an effective job of telling a story in very very sparse uh, moments. It, it, mm-hmm. They don't have to go through reams and reams of dialogue for me to understand why I want Shovel Knight to succeed. I just can sort of innately know I want to. I want to have him redeem himself.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it kind of it it is a little stereotypical in the sense that it is a you know a traditional very traditional hero story, but it's. A satisfying one, nevertheless. I would say so. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I think that's. I think those are pretty much the main points I wanted to get across in terms of uh, shovel knight, um, in terms of the storyline. There's. It it does a very very good job of telling its story in a very satisfying way that also tells its gameplay. Um, there's lots of comedic elements to it, although it isn't it isn't overly funny. Um, but overall it's an extremely satisfying experience.
0: So with that that brings us to the end of episode two of so many bits. If you remember from the end of episode one we said we were going to talk about borderlands. Uh, we did switch the order. We're going to talk about borderlands for the next episode. Uh, until then, uh, just you can find this on hopefully on iTunes. Uh, stitched SoundCloud. We're still working to get it up in those places. We have an email address, so many bits podcast at gmail.com. We're going to work on getting a Facebook, a Twitter, and a Tumblr going ASAP. Uh, yeah, yeah. And with that, just uh, thank you very much for listening and keep watching the skies. <laughs>